Hello and welcome to Risk and Business, the Advent Iron podcast. It's Ellie Hurst here, head of Marcom and Media for uh, the brand. And with me today, I've got Olivia Lawler-Blackburn, who works in my team. And I've got Liz Kentish. Say hello, guys. Hi, Ellie. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for joining me. Uh, this is going to be a much more relaxed kind of podcast, if we could get any more relaxed than we normally are, of course. Um, but what we wanted to talk about uh, is, is quite it's quite a broad church of topics that we want to cover. But the first thing that I want to do is introduce Liz. Now, Liz, from my perspective, I can introduce her from my perspective because I know her for a variety of different um, reasons and for a variety of different things that she does, which are all amazing. Um, and she can probably introduce herself a little bit better, which she can do when I've finished. Um, so, uh, Liz, I know you predominantly from the world of facilities management, but also for your um, leadership uh, mentoring and your expertise and experience in that area. Um, but not just for that, but also for the work that you do for everybody around well-being, reminding people of their well-being, how to look after themselves, how to prioritise, all this really important stuff. And it's one of the topics that I came to know you most for um, during the the bulk of the, the COVID pandemic, because obviously you've been so generous with your, your time and your content and your output um, for the benefit of a lot of people. This kind of... Um, harks back to one of my main themes for why I wanted to talk to you, which is like the unsung hero of the workplace, um, is the facilities management team, in my experience. And so um, one, of the, one of the things that I wanted to draw out today was the, the different experiences um, that we've all had through the changing workplace, through um, as the point as far as we've got through the pandemic, obviously still ongoing, um, but the changes to our, our lives, the changes to how we're working together, but also some of our little personal stories of how it's affected us over the last sort of three years. So I'm going to hand over to you for a sec and let you get a word in edgeways, um, but also to talk yourself um, about, you know, the, the things that you do and what you're all about. Thanks so much, Ellie. And it's so lovely to be here with you both. Um, so people will know me, for, as you say, for various things. Some people will know me as Hivis Liz which is a, a persona I've created since the start of the pandemic. And perhaps we'll come back to that, that when we talk, yeah, about, we love that. <laughs> talk about, you know, the impact on, on each of us. Um, I'm also a very proud trustee of a charity called From Me To You. And this also came about during the pandemic. From Me To You are all about encouraging people to write letters and cards to people they know and love who are living with cancer. Um, and we also have a scheme where if you don't know anyone with cancer, um, then you can donate letters to us and we will share them with people in hospices and hospitals and uh, also at home. And I'm a very, very proud trustee of that. If you give us a if you give us a link for that, we'll drop it into description so that people can get hold of it. That would be perfect. Thank you. So, yes, yeah, so one thing I one real passion of mine is writing letters and I will write to anyone and everyone. So um, I'm probably opening myself up now to lots of people saying, oh, I haven't had a handwritten letter for a long time, Liz. But, but it is a special thing. It is. And it's a it's a good way um, of helping our own mental well-being. It's a bit like I think it's a bit like journaling. You know, I can sit yes. down on a Sunday afternoon and write 10 or 12 letters, some for the charity, some to friends and family. And I just feel so much better for doing it. I never write a letter in anticipation of a reply. And I think that's really important for people to know, because I don't want to put any more pressure on people. I write because I enjoy it. And while I'm writing, yes. I'm holding them in my heart. 
Um, and it's it's good for us all. So that's that's absolutely. something I absolutely that's love. That's lovely. Yeah. Um, I'm also a co-founder of Plan B for FM, um, along with my colleague Jackie Cupper. And Plan B for FM is a free of charge, easy, accessible mentoring program for women working in the facilities arena. And we match them with mentors, men and women, throughout the globe. So we're very proud mm -hmm. to be a global mentoring program. It's it's been brilliant. And because we couldn't do matching in person, I think that's the reason we've been able to go global. So everything's yes. done on Zoom and we have mentors and mentees in the US, in Australia, in Singapore, in Dubai, all over Europe. It's amazing just to be able to connect people through the power of technology. Um, yes. So that's something else I'm very proud of. And, and my day job um, as yes. the founder of Kentish & Co is really about behavioural change management. So we work predominantly in the facilities management sector. We also work with some architects and some construction firms, some security firms, some cleaning organisations. But we are all about what we call corporate marriage guidance. So in a nutshell, it's helping people work more effectively together so that contracts are longer term. Everybody makes more money out of it. You know, let's not mm -hmm. forget profit. It's really important. But people yeah. have trusted relationships between yes. departments, between client and service provider. Uh, and we've had a lot of success around that. So that's that's my day job. It's just such a huge, <laughs> it's a, I think they call it a plethora, don't they, of, um, of strings to your uh, to your bow there. That's just amazing. I think, yeah, the high-vis Liz, I think, is one of the things that definitely got me through um, through this lockdown period. And, you know, just seeing your smiling face every day was just such a, just such a pleasure. It was a, such a difficult time, I think, for everybody. Um, one of the things that I've noticed... Um, I don't know about YouTube, but one of the things I've definitely noticed over the last couple of years is the changing nature of the kind of things that people post now. Um, some people are more comfortable with this than others. And there's the standard kind of like this isn't Facebook sort of thing um, that you see on LinkedIn when people post, you know, personal things or their observations or how they're feeling about things. But as, a, as I would say, as a general rule of thumb, I've actually found it very refreshing to be able to flesh out the additional dimensions of people that I've known for quite a long time um, and perhaps even worked with, but there are things that I haven't known or haven't appreciated about them. And I think the one thing that's brought us all together over the last two or three years is that emotional struggle um, of just trying to get through, of just trying to break through to something that feels more manageable, something that we can cope with. Um, and that brings me really to the way the last three years have affected the three of us <clears throat> excuse me we all come from very different angles but there's certain points at which we at which we meet um obviously you're at the at the kind of coal face in many ways liz because you are you are so intricately wound into workplace matters that it would be you know the a huge impact on you from our perspective obviously we do physical security so the nature of the kind of physical security reviewing and kind of stuff changed over the course of um, the, the, as far as we've got through the pandemic but our cyber security and information security work um, just ramped up so much um, and the way in which we had to deliver it needed to change but of course we'd furloughed quite a lot of people so from my perspective 
looking at people posting on social media and saying, oh, my God, I'm so bored, furloughed, watching Netflix. Whilst I was going like the clappers, I was like the, you know, the the um, the Flintstones trying to power the car. That was me. <laughs> that was me trying to trying to get my car to move, you know, um, and that was just an extraordinary experience. But Olivia, who's one of my team members who joined us just before um, the pandemic broke, had a period of work in the office. It was her first sort of office job. And then everything sort of changed from there. I'll, I'm not going to talk for Olivia. Olivia, you can explain for you, from your own perspective. Yeah, I mean, it was obviously completely unexpected. You know, I was excited to start a new office job straight out of uni. Um, and it had been a struggle, like most students, to get into your first role. You know, it didn't come straight away. It took me maybe a year after being out of uni. So I was really ready for it to start on the journey of being, you know, a official worker. Um, so working there, I think it was around six months. And then all of a sudden, you know, came into the office one day and we were told, go home, get your stuff and just go home and stay at home until we tell you to come back. And it was, it was a shock. It was like, okay, is this really happening? Like, what is going on? It was like a movie, you know, thinking what is going to happen next, thinking about, like, I am legend, is it going to be like this? (laughs) And it was scary. Um, And then I was working at home for a while, and then I was told I was going to be on furlough. And again, I was thinking, okay, what's going to happen now? Am I going to lose my job? Do I need to start looking somewhere else? Luckily, I live at home with mum and dad still, so I knew I was safe in some way. But then I thought, well, what if... If I've gone on furlough, what happens if my mum and dad are then put on furlough? If they can't afford the bills, what's going to happen? And, you know, you think of all the worst things. Um, Gradually, as it went on and, you know, I was still in contact with work, I knew, like, this was just temporary. And it was clear to me that I would be going back at some point. Um, So that helped me calm down and have something to focus on. At first, it felt like a holiday. It really did feel like, you know, you had all this time to do whatever you want. You were still getting paid, so you had money to go and spend. You could go out whenever you want, any day of the week. But then the novelty did wear off, and it got to the point where you felt lost. You thought that you were wasting your day, just getting up, have nothing to do. You're not learning anything. You're not meeting anyone, and it did start to get okay, I'm wasting, I'm wasting months here doing nothing. And it actually started to get really quite sad. But of course, um, while all that was going on, and I was doing my Flintstones thing, desperate for you to come back, (laughs) um, uh, the the point at which it became clear that we could start bringing people um, back to work, you actually came back quite early from furlough, didn't you? Um, And then realised just how absolutely insane it had been yeah um while while you were away so but I know that not everybody um not everybody came back as as quickly as you did and of course the other person um who could probably contribute to this if he hadn't but gone to Ibiza on holiday um there's another member of my team um who actually we employed during the middle of the the lockdown period he did all his interviews remotely like this and started started his job 
remotely. So it's quite some time before we were able to all get together in the office and and meet each other. Um, but Lizzie, you you'll be interested in this. One of the even though we have you know all set up our comfy homework environments now, we still feel the need to come together regularly. And the more that we see each other, the more the more we feel that we want to. Mm -hmm. Um, the more that we feel like we want to see and, and be around each other because the ideas flow and training, from my perspective, training um, is so much easier um, in person. We can do it this way, but if you're, if you're teaching something technical and, and complex, um, I really need almost a sort of classroom sort of situation. So um, from that perspective, it's an unexpected turn shall we say what are you finding Liz are you are you hearing people say the same thing definitely so if I just sort of wind back to 2019 so we were doing a lot of travel globally to deliver our programs to clients in fact in 2019 I'm, I'm not very proud of it but I did 47 flights that year um, most of them wow. most of them long-haul flights so I was tired by the end of the year um, my very last trip was to Cape Town at the beginning of March 2020 that was actually a, a holiday sort of a week's holiday because I've got family out there uh, came back um, and you know very quickly within days we went went into lockdown we had a lot yes. of work in the diary for that year I was due to be in Japan running some programs in April 2020 everything got put on hold everything so for three months we had nothing in the diary and I have to say for as a business owner that was scary I'm not going to pretend otherwise now we are we're a successful business so our cash reserves were okay so we knew that we could we could survive we didn't know how long this pandemic would go on but we were thinking three months six months it'll be fine everything will get back to normal we had one of our global clients picked up the phone to me in I think towards the end of April and said you know, Kentish & Co have been a partner of ours for many years and we know you're a small business and we're sure you have overheads. Is there anything we can do financially to support you as we go through the pandemic? I almost fell off wow. my chair. I had a few tears in my eyes and I said, thank you. We're fine, but thank you. Wow. Wow. I mean, that, that wow, told me everything, everything that we had built since 2008 when we started the business. That was one of the most lovely pieces of feedback that a client a global client will pick up the phone to what is in effect a small business and say yes. are you okay can we help I thought that was lovely mm. so anyway the work started to pick up because we all realized we could work on teams and zoom uh, so we started doing our workshops online but they haven't been as I don't think they've been as effective and we are now yeah. back to traveling some of our clients are back to the workplace and they want us to go and do the the face-to-face -face. exactly as you say Ellie you know it's being in yeah. person um, there, there's lots of research I've been reading research about creativity and collaboration and everybody says we are more creative and collaborative when we are in person together yeah. Yeah. because also there's this focus there's this focusing our eyes on on screens all the time and then we're not looking around we're not being inspired by things around us you know the could be the coffee machine in the corner of yeah. the meeting room that just inspires us to do things. Um, yeah. So we are getting back to some sort of how things were before. Uh, yeah. There's still a lot of anxiety. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In, in, in everybody and not just anxiety about catching COVID. Um, it's also anxiety about 
Do I know how to socialise with people anymore? Do I know what the protocols are in the workplace? Not just Mm -hmm. COVID protocols, but when I, you know, if I go to the office for the first time, because as as you've said, Ellie, you know, a lot of people have joined companies during the last two years and have never actually been to a site, to an office. It's really nerve wracking. It is. A lot of people would say, well, that's the FM team's responsibility. And I would say, actually, no, it's not. It's the business's responsibility to reassure people and to welcome them. Yes. Yeah, that's a that's a business issue. I don't know about you, Liz, as well. I feel that it disproportionately affects young people. Um, I'm thinking particularly about people who are in their first jobs. And, you know, a lot of people left university during that period looking for their first jobs and then find themselves maybe, you know, like like our colleague in a, in a new job that they've applied for, interviewed for and and started remotely. And they've never actually worked in an office environment. I, do, I, I think I would be absolutely terrified mm. if that were me. I'd find that incredibly nerve-wracking um, to, to be new into a role and then all of a sudden, all right, it's not remote anymore. We want everybody to come into the office or even a sort of hybrid of that would be really challenging. And businesses need to, you know, really bear that in mind. I think it's a good time. It, it's afforded us the opportunity to look at what uh, at what our culture is absolutely yeah. what is what is our culture you know is it is it is it welcoming is it um is it inclusive um is it is it does it have enough diversity of thought to be able to have a plank of empathy for young people and and those returning to the office to discover how they need it to be and to try and make it as good as it possibly can be because at the end of the day we're talking about productivity going back to the point that you made Liz which I thought was really good is you can carry out your work on teams you can do you know we've done training on teams and on zoom um, and they've all gone perfectly well it's a little bit like the other thing that we were talking about before we started recording when we were talking about a particular brand of, of sweeties and um, the, the strawberry flavour. Uh, so the strawberry flavour is we've been conditioned into thinking this is what strawberry tastes like. But the difference between the um, actual strawberry flavour and the flavour of the that, that we're being told to accept as being strawberry, totally different. And that's the difference between having some of the attributes of your training provided to you through your, your Zoom call or having the actual real experience of being in the room with the trainer, with the other delegates, firing questions, absorbing each other energies, you know, all that kind of stuff, which that's quite important to me. I hadn't realised how important it was actually um, until having been through this, until I realised that the only sensory input I was getting was literally from someone's face. And if you don't read facial expressions particularly well, like I don't read facial expressions particularly well, it can be quite challenging. And that is your only form of, you don't get to see anything else. You don't Mm -hmm. get to feel someone's energy. You've just being around them. Um, I found that quite difficult and I didn't think I would, but I, I did. So I think, I can understand why people are wanting to move back. I can understand, particularly for, you know, um, training and coaching and, um, you know, mentoring, how important it is to actually, you know, be near that person, be nearer the people who are having a shared experience with. 
because uh, this isn't really a shared experience. We're doing this together, but it, it's not really a shared experience as if it would be if we're all sat in a room together, which is how we used to do our podcasts. Mm. And I think that's, that's kind of a moving thing. I think that's going to continue um, to change because we're not out of the woods yet, as you very correctly say, Liz. We're not out of the woods with, um, with COVID. People are still catching it. People are still getting very sick with it. People are still going to hospital with it. You know, it still seems to be everywhere. UK seems to be doing okay, but, you know, not the same everywhere else. Mm. If I can just go back to the topic, Ellie, of young people. I would always say we must never underestimate the next generation. I think they are incredibly flexible and adaptable. And if mm -hmm. I think about technology, for example, and my generation, when we started at work, you know, I, I had a pager. I didn't have a mm -hmm. phone or anything. We were still using telex machines and fax machines. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, technology seemed to move quite slowly. Of course, these days, technology moves incredibly quickly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm still on an iPhone 8 and my nieces and nephews think I'm... A dinosaur you know because I don't have six camera lenses on the back of my phone I don't need six camera lenses as long as I can do my high-vis Liz videos and I can actually make phone calls which they think is hilarious but what I've noticed about them and they're all at university or coming out of university is that they're not afraid they might be a bit no. nervous but they're not afraid they will go and ask for what they want in mm -hmm. my first job I would never have said I want to, you know, I want to have hybrid working and I, my expectation is this, this and this. I would have just mm -hmm. taken what was given to me and been grateful. Yeah, yeah. The next generation are very clear about what they do and don't want. And I think that is superb. It's going to help us from a facilities point of view, create that workplace experience for them. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. What do you think about that, Liv? Because that's you're the generation that Liz is talking about yeah. now. Well, I was just going to say, I was listening to a radio station and they were they were talking about this and saying that young people are too demanding now and they don't want to work for, they don't want to work for the things that they want. They just want it given to them. And I just thought that is absolutely like a load of crap. That's not what people are like at all. I think, yeah, you will get people like that, but that's not everyone. You know, people are willing to work and they know that they have to work. I I have never expected anything to be given to me. I never expected my mum and dad to give me anything and I don't expect them to when they grow older. You know, whatever I want, I know I have to get it. So when I came into the job, I knew that I was going to have to work to prove that I should stay at, at Advent. Um, and I know that going forward, if I want something... It's not just going to be given to me. I need to do the work. I need to learn. If I wanted to get another job and they were asking for um, a certain requirement, then they have the right to ask for me to have that. I shouldn't expect to be given that job just because I want it and I want the money or I want whatever the benefits are. Yeah. I think that they're talking about an attitude that isn't generationally confined, actually. No. And they're trying to place those Absolutely attributes not. upon a, a whole group of people. And it's incredibly um, inappropriate and also a little bit divisive. Mm -hmm. um, well, no, actually quite a lot divisive. Um, but yeah. we see that quite a lot. I find that with the um, segmentation of people and, you know, constantly referring to millennials, which is... Which yeah. is it's not helpful, is it, really? It's, no. it's, it's really not helpful. And, you know, when did we learn that it's bad to ask for what it is that, that you want? Yeah. I don't remember learning that 
it's bad to, to ask for what it is that you want. I think if you have an appropriate sensibility about your abilities and your capabilities and your ambitions, then it's perfectly okay to, to do that. I think one thing that's good that's come out of COVID is, is that it's made businesses realistic about actually having humans that work for you. Like they're not robots. Mm -hmm. They have families at home. They have friends. They have other things that they need to do. And I think, like you said, with we're more connected to each other now and people have like a personality mm -hmm. rather than just their work persona. You know, we kind of were more accepting about people's life outside of work now, which mm -hmm. is good for everyone. It's good for the business because you're more willing to help them, I think, and you do anything for your company if they do things for you in return. Mm -hmm. It definitely inspires loyalty, doesn't it, when you feel like you're understood yeah. and treated like a human being and treated as a whole person um, yeah. rather than just the bits of you that are work-facing. I think we also need to think about different cultures because if we think about that, giving more of yourself to your colleagues, you know, so they understand you more, you know, you might have a puppy or your kids or whatever it may be. Um, there are different cultures that actually are quite uncomfortable with that. And I think from mm -hmm. a workplace point of view, we've got to remember that. So, mm -hmm. you know, these sort of team meetings where it's all, oh, everybody tell us something about your family or your house, or some people don't want to do that. And I think we have to be very kind and patient yes. with people. Yeah who yeah. don't necessarily want to bring their home life into their work life. Yeah. Um, it, it's a cultural thing across different uh, geographic areas and demographics as well. So I think yeah. from a leadership point of view, yeah. there's a real onus on the leader to treat all their people as individuals and know them well enough to not put people on the spot. Absolutely, because that could be excruciating, couldn't it? I think if you, it's a little bit like when you get a good idea and then you hand it over to someone else to execute that that's when the problems normally start so having the idea that yeah it's great to get everybody together to have a meeting and we'll start the meeting by chatting about whatever's happening in our lives kind of thing and that then becomes a rule and so everybody has to do that before they start and then I think that's that's as soon as you institutionalize an idea it seems to go it seems to go badly that's my experience <laughs> I think it's about flexibility though isn't it you know it is. and I'd be interested to hear from both of you on this you know how do we as leaders in our businesses how do we stay adaptable and agile because you know we might say oh we want everybody back to the workplace three days a week but actually in six months time the data might show us that actually that's not helped productivity at all so how do we as leaders how do we stay flexible enough I think it's down to you your mindset really um if your mindset is that you are um it's a privilege to be a leader right that's how i look at it i, I feel privileged um to be a leader because i'm helping to shape the next generation of leaders and so everything that i do therefore is important uh, every decision that i make that affects my team is is important and they have got every right to be a part of that decision making process as well so i view it as everything unless it comes down to someone is taking responsibility and accountability for something in which case that will be me i try and make everything a process of participation as much as is possible um so rather than or issue dictates i will give guidance and say 
you know, this is the way I think we should do it. Let's test it out. Let's try it. Let's see how we get on, see how we all feel about it. And then nothing is fixed in stone because um, it's a it's a movable feast. So that's that's the way I have tried to do it. I mean, lives on the receiving end, so I don't know. <laughs> She's probably the best person to ask about whether it works or not. No, it does. I mean, you obviously are the first manager that I've had in an office job, so I have nothing to compare it to. But I think, you know, you're the person that I look up to in this company. You know, I don't deal with any other leader in this company other than maybe the director. Mm -hmm. So you are the two people that I rely on and I feel... You know, I, I need you to be um, friendly, approachable, so that I'm comfortable. And even more so being at home now and, you know, working, there's no one else at home at the daytime. It's just me. So I need to feel like you guys are there and approachable and mm -hmm. leading the way for me. Mm -hmm. um, and then you two definitely do encourage our team to think for ourselves rather than just wait for you to give us the plan you say go and make the plan yourself and then we'll look at it together giving people that freedom so i've, I've got an example if i if i may so um, mm -hmm. one particular client we're working with the um, executive board decided that they were going to return to office so they've got some some people have been working on site throughout in, in jobs like manufacturing and research so they've been yeah. on site throughout but they wanted everybody else to come back but rather than have a diktat as you said Ellie what they decided is that they would leave each department to make their own choice so based on the role of their department was it important you know did they need to be on site all the time could they come in a couple of days a week would they just come in for team meetings and I think that's brilliant the challenge that has caused for the workplace team is unbelievable because everybody wants something different Yes. And it's expensive because people want yes. food trucks, they want different coffee, They everybody wants something different. And also, each department hasn't made a permanent plan. It's very much a let's suck it and see. So yes. week on week on week, from a facilities and workplace point of view, they're running, they're having to run to keep up with their yes. customers, if you like. And yes. I, I, that's quite a challenge. And I think we need to sort of uh, have a bit of a shout out for people working in facilities and, and workplace. Absolutely. There's one of the reasons why you're here and I've actually written it down here on my, on my pad, unsung heroes of the workplace. Because I, I mean, facilities teams were always the unsung heroes of the workplace, but I think without a shadow of a doubt, the last few years and the situation that we're in now, we're still in this hybrid, weird, flexible situation absolutely 100 percent. how do you manage that i mean it's the herding cats and getting toothpaste back into the tube type scenario isn't it really difficult because who knows when this is going to settle down at some point at some point i think the financials will force the issue because as you say it's a very expensive way to do business um and so i think at some point it, the issue will get forced and it will probably start with the big institutions. I think we've started to see some of them saying you will, you, some of the big financial institutions saying you will come back into the office. This is where you will work. You will work here. Um, and I, I can't imagine that they're going to be isolated instances. I imagine that's going to happen quite a lot for this very reason, you know, that money, money will force the issue. Is there a risk issue as well? I'm particularly interested from 
your point of view in terms of security is if people are working at home, does the organisation have a responsibility or a duty of care to make sure that people have the right security on their home Wi-Fi, that they have ergonomic furniture, that, you know, if somebody doesn't turn up to the office, you might send someone around to the house to make sure they're okay. But if people are working from home, how do we know if someone's sick, if they there's a, an incident or domestic violence or a fire in their home how, how do we know so I, I'm interested mm-hmm. in your thoughts on are people coming back to the workplace are companies encouraging people back to the workplace because it mitigates their risk mm-hmm. of something happening when people are at home I think that's a really good point Liz and I think in some cases that is that is definitely going to be the case because they've already got those policies in place and the easiest place to enforce them is when everybody's in the same place so uh, yeah, I think so. I think um, a good example would be the speed with which we all had to roll out to remote. Um, it happened very, very quickly. And if you look at it in um, information and cybersecurity terms, that means that sometimes companies that and teams that were not used to working remotely all of a sudden had to. And so the risk started there. Right, because there's no time to do a proper risk assessment um, on rolling out a load of new hardware devices uh, to newly remote teams, people who've never ever worked that way before, um, and making sure that all of those devices were securely configured before they reached those people so nothing dreadful could happen. And everybody knew how to use them securely using VPNs or whatever it needed to be. For most people, um, it seems to have gone not without a not without incident there's been quite a few incidents but there's been very few absolutely huge catastrophes i would suggest that's probably more luck than judgment and um mitigating that risk my experience again is also people if it ain't broke don't fix it if (laughs) if we're now in the territory of this being more of a long-term thing even if it's not full-time remote but maybe a hybrid thing now would be a really good time for people to start thinking about the risk that they've brought into their business um, and start reviewing their policies and processes. It'd be a really good time now. And so, yes, it would be much easier for those businesses who did that fast rollout to draw everybody back into the office. And yes, that would be a good way of mitigating that risk. But if you think about other policies that they may have had in place that could have potentially been used to help people working at home. So maybe lone worker policies and things like that, Um, social media policies. Um, These are all key policies that businesses need in order to make sure that not only are people using their uh, workplace and their equipment securely, but they understand why and that they've got a mechanism in place for how to handle issues when they arise, who to speak to, how to speak to them, how urgent it is, all of that kind of thing. Um, If it, if, people are going to remain remote or hybrid and those sort of policies have not been reviewed in a long time, absolutely they need to be looked at right now. They need to be looked at right now. One of the things that you brought up, Liz, before we actually started recording was um, talking about social media and I talked a little bit about social media policies. One of my experiences throughout um, furlough was that obviously a lot of marketing teams had been furloughed because my inbox filled up with people trying to sell me some of the most random stuff um, 
that if they had got a marketer in place segmenting those databases, I would never have received. But <laughs> too many people with a button with a finger on the send button. Um, funnily enough, no, I didn't. I was tempted by the Faraday cages, though. I was. I'll be honest. The nerd in me really wanted to buy. <laughs> but I did not manage to manage to avoid the temptation. But um, uh, so I'm assuming then also seeing some of the random stuff that appeared on some of the social media platforms that the same people had also been given the responsibility of running social media accounts because the kind of things that businesses should not post um, on social media became quite frequent. Then you began to realise entire teams of marketers and social media experts had been furloughed. And so therefore somebody else was was handling these things. There's a risk from that as well. And that's the reason why you need policy in place in order to help people understand what they can and can't do, what they should and shouldn't do. And all of those policies should be linked back absolutely to business objectives and, you know, all of the, all of the, the core values and everything that you hold dear you know, to your brand. But obviously that didn't happen either. So we're talking risk. It's a big risk there. So it's on the subject of furlough, I think it's really interesting the impact furlough has had. So it saved a lot of companies. Let's let's be honest, it was it was a lifesaver. However, a lot of people who were furloughed in the facility sector, particularly frontline operatives, um, particularly people in catering, for example, um, were initially furloughed, but then were laid off when this seemed to be going on for quite a period of time. And of course, now as we're looking at return to office for a lot of organisations, they're struggling now to rehire people because actually during the pandemic, a lot of people have reflected on their life and their life goals and thought, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to work long hours or shifts and I can go and do something else. And it seems to be um, an employee's market, you know, a job seeker's market, and people are able, able to walk into different work. Um, and so that's one, I think, one of the impacts of furlough that's causing us in the facilities sector some real issues as we now come back to work is how do we hire people almost in a way that is more flexible for them and for us as the organisation? But of course, again, that's financial risk. It's, there's all sorts of risk um, packaged up in that so I don't know what the answer is no and I don't think there is one at the moment um because I think it's affecting different sectors differently you travel a lot so you would have experienced the difficulties that are happening at airports now and some airlines having furloughed and laid off um vast numbers of, of staff and the difficulties that that's now causing as people are flooding back needing to travel either for work or, you know, for much needed um, holidays. And the airport's just been absolutely overrun and, and, and unable to cope because they've not been able to re-employ people um, at the same rate as they laid them off. <laughs> but that's the same in any, any environment, I think. So if you have people coming back to, to the workplace and they're, maybe they don't have to book in in advance. So people are literally turning up at the reception probably need to get their access passes re-established, you know, re-set up again. Yes. Um, and then there's a long queue and everybody's tutting and impatient. And all this kindness and patience that we've had over the last two years just seems to disappear. Evaporated. <laughs> yeah. So I think, you know, there's a message there for all of us is if we're going to give people that flexibility, we've got to be able to manage expectations 
not just manage the delivery, manage the expectations. So, you know, if you are coming back to the office and you haven't booked to come back, you might not get a parking space. You might have to wait to get your access control pass issued to you. You might not be able to get a pod to work in. You know, we yes. we need to make people aware so that they don't come back in and are immediately disappointed. Yes. So some sort of welcome back pack with information and things that you can do to make it easier and quicker for you to slot back into the workplace, things that you can organise beforehand before you get there type of thing, sort of like the advanced check-in, the online check-in. <laughs> and there's some um, great videos out there. A lot of organisations are doing some welcome back videos, sort of walking people through what's often a redesigned workplace with much more open yes. space for collaboration so people can get comfortable with it before they actually walk into the building. I think that's a great idea. That's a fantastic idea, orientation. I really like that. I think something else that I think is uh, very important sort of in this period of time is the collaboration between different functions. I see particularly IT, FM and HR working much more closely together. Whether people are working remotely, they're supporting them jointly or when people come back to the workplace, there's so much more collaboration. And that's been a long time coming. I think that's superb. IT have always been very seen as very core to the business fm haven't necessarily but you know that that tripartite tri-party collaboration is is really going to help us all um over yes. the next few years i think you're quite right what i see happening is that people have looked at it the right way and and said well what okay what's the problem that we're trying to solve What's the problem that we're trying to solve and what components do we need in order to do that? Because there's nothing um, more key in focusing people's attention than a serious problem, a serious business problem. You know, everyone's everyone becomes incredibly focused at that point. And when you draw in the expertise that you need from the different bits of your business, then th hopefully that will stick. You know, we can only hope that that will stick. It's happened with security as well, because... You know, security is one of those functions that people generally aren't that pleased to see you because it normally means something's gone wrong or it might have gone wrong or they think it could possibly go wrong or, you know. So it works in a, in a similar kind of way that they might not necessarily want you in the boardroom. Um, but when it comes to a focused situation and everybody is completely focused on solving a problem, everyone's got an outcome in mind and everybody knows what part of that outcome they form. Um, it's got, it's got a way of, of focusing everyone's attention in a, in a really brilliant way that a dozen desktop exercises and, you know, meetings and everything else can't do, you know, give people a crisis. And that's when you see things start to crystallize in a, in a really useful, helpful way. We're amazing, aren't we, as human beings? And I think something else that's happened as a result of this sort of collaboration is, is there is a common purpose. So we talk about workplace experience a lot, you know, creating the workplace where people can do their best work. And it used to be that that was either the responsibility of FM or the responsibility of HR. Actually, now it's a business responsibility, but IT, security, FM and HR jointly can support that and create that environment where people can do their best work. And that fills me with so much hope and joy for the future that actually people working in facilities and workplace are gonna enjoy their work even more because they'll be able to see collaboration with colleagues. They'll be able to see that they're all pulling in the same direction. That's right, because everyone's focused on the outcome. And yeah, great, long may it continue. I love to see collaboration between those teams. Absolutely fantastic. I think we're running out of time. 
Um, but it's been absolutely amazing, and I hope we get a chance to do this again because there's so many. I've written down so many things that we could we could um, we could talk about again in future because it's been such fun. I love I love it. I've loved it. It's so nice to see you both as well. And just to have the opportunity yeah. to to chat very openly about what's going on and personal views, because I think there's so much research and data out there. But really, it's what people feel individually that matters. isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. yeah, that's the thing that makes all the difference. And I think that's definitely something that's come out of the last two or three years is that um, that rounding out of people and, you know, just and just and just the plank of empathy has been extended in a variety of different directions from most people and you know it's up to you if you choose to walk down it or not but I think more mm. people than not are yeah so I'd like to thank you both very very much and like we say Liz definitely want to do this again if I can sneak any more time in your diary than I will do um so thank you very very much both and thanks everybody for listening Don't forget to like and subscribe. You can get us on all the major platforms. And if you're listening to this through the website, do make your way to one of the uh, podcast platforms and sign up so that you can get to listen to more of our content in future. So I just want to say thank you, Liz. Thank you, Olivia. And bye bye for now.